for the sermon is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is God's word. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Before we start, just one thing. Um, We're looking at Ephesians 6, which is uh, a way, a metaphor, this military metaphor of armor, a way for a Christian to stand, um, primarily as an individual, although as we saw last week, it is our faith together that allows us to stand as a church. But there are other spiritual battles, and that's what our peace and politics meeting is going to be all about. Um, We live in a time of very divisive politics, and there are divisions between us in this church, different political viewpoints. How can we live together? How can we remain united as a church? Because this is a spiritual battle. The battles of the world coming into the church blow churches apart. We're going to discuss that on Palm Sunday, April 9th, discuss ways that we can be united, remind ourselves that our highest commitment is that Jesus is Lord, our highest identity that trumps all other identities, all other sources of meaning, or all other sources of purpose. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Don't be afraid. You heard Jerry, fearful. Don't be afraid. The church has resources we can't begin to understand. But we do need to talk about it, and so I invite you all to stay after the service on April 9th. It'll be, um, I think it'll be revealing. Back to Ephesians. So um, we've been looking the last three Sundays at Ephesians as a way of thinking about spiritual warfare, what it means personally. This letter, um, Ephesians, was written by Paul to a church that he had planted in Ephesus, which is now Turkey. And it was Paul's habit to travel around the Roman world, go to major cities, and share the gospel, start to talk about Jesus. In Ephesus, we know from the book of Acts, uh, you can read about this in Acts 19. The book of Acts is the history book of the church, and Acts 19 describes what happened at Ephesus. Paul preached in a synagogue for three months, and then in the square, he actually was given a essentially a classroom to talk in, and he did that for two years. 
gathered a group of people who responded to what he was saying, formed them into a church, trained up their leaders, and then after two years he left. But Ephesus was a center of spiritual warfare. It was the center of the worship of Artemis, one of the uh, gods of Rome. There was a, a lively spiritual marketplace for idols, actual physical gold and silver idols there. And the church had a lot of problems. And so they wrote to Paul. And Paul, in return, wrote back to them. And that's where our letter Ephesians comes from. He's describing how to be a good Christian, how to live a Christian life in the middle of this spiritual battle. The whole letter, six chapters, is about that battle. And in fact, this part that we're looking at in uh, chapter six, this metaphor that Paul uses of a Roman legionnaire's armor, is a summary or a mnemonic to remind the readers of what he taught in the previous chapters. And so it's a great letter to read and then summarize at the end. So what is he teaching us? Last week, we looked at the readiness that comes from the, uh, the gospel of peace, the fact that if you are at peace with those around you, you can work together, you can respond, you can stand together. And the shield of faith, how standing together with other men and women of faith allows you to repel any of the attacks, the uh, Roman legionnaires united were in, in, uh, undefeated. They spread the Roman Empire because the soldiers stood and formed these incredible tortoise-like armored structures with their shields and they could advance against any uh, power of the time. But what is spiritual warfare? You know, it's okay to think about this metaphor of physical battle and physical armor. But how, as Christians, should we think about spiritual warfare? You know, you've all seen movies, I'm sure, where you have these spiritual battles and they shoot bolts of lightning out of their fingertips and globes of glowing goodness knows what. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, no. Spiritual warfare. Well, what is, what is, does it mean to be spiritual? What does that word mean? It means to be in relationship with God, who is spirit. He is not physical and material like us. He is spiritual. God is a spiritual being. And he gives us his Holy Spirit, which allows us to be in relationship with him. So spirit just means the presence of the Holy Spirit and this relationship with God. What is spiritual battle then? It is anything and everything in the world which challenges that relationship, that throws that relationship into doubt, makes you doubt that God is our Father, makes you doubt that you're a child of God, makes you doubt that God loves you or wants the best for you. The truth is revealed in the Bible. And everything in the world challenges that truth. And that's where the spiritual, bi- the spiritual battle is. The truth of God and our relationship with him and everything else that challenges or throws that into doubt. There's a beautiful psalm um, that David wrote. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. 
And he knew, his, he knew who he was, and he knew who he was in relationship to God. And he wrote, and this is perhaps my favorite psalm, Psalm 139. For you created my innermost being. He's talking and praising and praying to God. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So there is a truth, a spiritual truth about God and our relationship with him. We are wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made. We're awesome. And God delights in us because he made us and thinks that we're incredible. That's a truth. That's what the Bible says. That's something to base a life on. All lies, everything that challenges that truth, makes you doubt that about yourself, that's what spiritual battles are all about. And Satan, real, physical, personal evil, is about undermining your faith and my faith, about undermining the foundation of the church, about destroying the relationship of God and his people. And the strategy is easy. It's simple. To convince you and me that we are so flawed, we are so weak, we are so inadequate that we cannot possibly be fearfully and wonderfully made. We cannot possibly be worthy of God's attention, of God's love. We could not possibly be useful to him. And that is the essence of spiritual warfare right there. The attack on the truth of who we are in God. So how does Satan do it? How does evil work? It's simple. God, um, Satan uses the things that we have done, the things in our past, that are not wholesome, that are not holy, that are sinful, that are in defiance or in opposition to God. And Satan says, look at what you did. Tony, remember when you said that. Tony, remember when you did that. Tony, remember when you were that. How could God possibly love a person like you? That's how it works. Or what we're going through, when we suffer, when we are in despair, when our circumstances feel hopeless or miserable, when people that we love are ill, when life is, doesn't seem to be working out, the tempter comes in. Look at your circumstances. Look at what's happening to you. How could God possibly be loving you? If he loved you, this wouldn't be happening. Or, and I think this is particularly common, what other people have said about us or said to us, things in our past, teachers and parents and friends and neighbors and ex-boyfriends and girlfriends, bullies at school, harsh bosses, they say things. 
They do things. They try to define us with words, and we remember them. They are Satan's lies. God looks at you and says, you're beautiful. You are wonderful and fearfully made. And you belong to me forever. But the lies come in to deny that, to oppose that, to make you doubt that. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm useless. Nobody cares. Nobody could care about a person like me. I don't deserve to be happy. There's no use trying. I'll never amount to anything. God can't love a person like me. It's always my fault. I'm not good at anything. Nothing I do is important. My life is worthless. I hate myself. I hate my life. It will never get better. Why would anybody want to like me? I'm stuck in my relationships, in my career, in my life. There's no hope. Everything's a dead end. I'm just too tired and exhausted to do anything useful. I'm hanging on by my fingernails because there's nobody else to help me. Those are lies from Satan. Those are ways that Satan, ways the world, the ways circumstances try to define us and make us think about our life. And those are the lies that the Bible and our relationship with God denies, refutes, drives out. And that's the essence of spiritual warfare. Take the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Well, the helmet, a Roman legionnaire's helmet, was a a brass and iron helmet. It had flaps at the back to protect the neck. It had hanging flaps on the side to protect the cheeks and face. I'm sure you've seen a thousand of them in movies. And what did it do? It did two things. It allowed you to lift up your head in the middle of the battle because it protected you. It also identified you. Roman legionnaires had these horsehair crests of different colors so that their officers, their centurions, could see where they were, identify them as part of the um, Roman army as, so they could see where the front lines were. And so a faithful soldier, a legionnaire, standing firm would define where the battle is and where the army was still strong because their crest would be visible amidst the turmoil. How do you link that to the Christian life? Well, where it says, one thing you have to bear in mind, it's not uh, a great use of grammar here. It says, take the helmet of salvation. As if putting on this helmet is your salvation. It protects you. That's not quite what is being said there. Literally, it says, the helmet which is salvation. Not put on the armor to protect or save yourself, but rather the fact and reality of your salvation functions as your defense. You can lift up your head in any situation or circumstance 
because you have been saved. That's what it's saying. Your salvation is the reason that you can stand tall. The reason you can raise your head in the middle of the battle. Why is that? Because your salvation is your new identity. You are now, as a Christian, if you've been baptized into the Christian church, if you have joined, as you just saw Tim and Taylor join, you are now part of the family of God, the body of Christ. That's your identity. And your future is certain. You are saved. And therefore, there is nothing that anybody or anything or any institution or group or power in this world that really matters. Who cares what they say? If the Lord of creation, the one that made you and made everything that is, has decided that your family has decided to save you, is bringing you home. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. If that is the reality of who you are, who cares? If God is for me, who can be against me? There is no shame for a Christian. There is no reason to hang the head. There is no body that is more important or more significant than you in the world. Because you are a beloved of God. And therefore, you can lift your head up in any company, in any circumstances, against any challenge. That's the point here. I said that um, chapter 6 here in the armor is sort of a summary or mnemonic. Well, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1, the, the beginning of the letter. And I'd like to read two part of it. This is the beginning of Paul's letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who has blessed us. It has already happened. If you are a Christian, you have received every blessing it's possible to have from God through Christ. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Gospel is just the Greek word for good news. Your salvation is the good news. Not something that you're trying to attain, but something that is already real. Because it was achieved by Christ, not by you. That's what the truth you're standing on. When you believed... You are marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When we get baptized, when we baptize our children, what are we doing? We are witnessing this truth. The Christians have been washed clean with the blood of Christ and are now part of his family, a part of the body of Christ. Washing with the water in baptism 
points to the washing of the blood of Christ on the cross. And it is a seal. As you seal a document to affirm its truth. A baptized Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit by God. And what does that seal say? This one belongs to me. This one will never be lost. No matter what happens in the world, no matter what they do or anybody else does, any power, any institution, any group of people, this one is in my hands. This one is coming home. That's what the seal means. It's a stamp of God's ownership on your life. And because it's his stamp, there is no power that can remove it. That's why you can stand up. That is why you never have to be ashamed. Because there is no force in this world that can defeat God's power. And you have been sealed. By the way, the other source of that's a source of grace. If you are ever doubting that you are beloved of God, if you're ever doubting your faith, what's going on in your life, remember your baptism. Remember what God has done, not what you have done, what God has done. That you belong to him because he claimed you. And therefore you are his beloved. No matter what anybody else ever says. Also, by the way, it's the reason we go to the Lord's table. Another means of grace. Because the table says that what Jesus did on the cross saves us. That he paid the price so that there is now no reason or possibility that God would ever turn away from us. His own son paid the price. We are legally part of the family. So, here's a spiritual exercise for you. Some of you do feel doubt. We all feel doubts. I feel doubts. There's no challenge like being a church pastor for having people tell you how worthless you are. So what do you have to do when that happens? Three things. Be honest. Confess. This takes a little practice, and, and this takes a little patience, but find times and places where you can be quiet, and you can do business with God, and you can ask his Holy Spirit, which is present, to show you the lies and falsehoods in your life. The things that undermine your faith. The things that undermine habits, patterns, strange things that you do. By the way, I'll, I'll share an example. This to me is the strangest one I ever heard of. A friend of mine told me this about his wife. Um, so they're both in the music business. She was a singer. He was a guitarist. She was a country singer, which is tough in New York. And, uh, but she was pretty good, and he was excellent. And they had quite a circuit. They, uh, they had several clubs that liked them, and they would go around New York and up to Boston and down to Philadelphia. And, you know, they were building up. And every time they got to a certain level, she would blow up. She wouldn't show up to practice. She wouldn't show up to events. 
She'd go on a bender. She just wigged out. And this didn't happen. This over the course of ten years, this happened several times. And it just made no sense because she was so passionate about her music. She just wanted to be a musician. And so they went to Christian counseling for a long, 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 long time. And eventually, the truth came out. She had been on a gig while she was married but without her husband. And she had had a fling with someone at a nightclub. She sang and she met this guy afterwards. And she had essentially a one-night stand. And she felt horribly guilty about it. Worse than that, she was afraid if her name Ava became famous or public, this person would reveal themselves and she would lose her marriage and she would lose her family, which was more important to her than the music. And so every time she got to a certain amount of success, this past event destroyed her undermined everything she was trying to do. This past event defined her in a way that crippled her life for 10 years. Now, amazing, in the the Christian counseling, this came out. And there was forgiveness between the two. They didn't get divorced. They didn't break up. Their marriage is flourishing. This is now 10 years later. And it transformed her life to be able to share that dark thing that she had done and to be forgiven. Freed her. Freed her music. Freed her as a parent and uh, as a spouse. That darkness had been a source of destruction in her life. Every time she started to be successful, the voice happened. Remember what you did. That's who you are. You're not worthy to be loved by your husband. You're not worthy to have a family. You are a bad person. And it was only when the gospel came in and forgiveness came in that she was set free. Now, everyone in this room has in their past lies, bad things that they have done, events that seek to determine and define you that keep you in bondage. You have got to confront them with the gospel. You are not defined by your past. You have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And now you are a new creation, beloved of God. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And so first, you've got to confess it. Now, don't start off by confessing all your sins to your spouse. That is a bad move. (laughs) Start confessing them to yourself, to God, to the Holy Spirit. Start applying the gospel to yourself. If you read the Psalms, you'll see David doing that again and again and again. Remember, my soul, who you are. Remember. He says it again and again. Remember who you are and confront that lie, that darkness, that terrible event with the new truth about yourself. Confess. And then renounce using the Bible. 
Wherever the lie tries to define you, wherever the dark side of your past tries to confine you, use the gospel, the Bible, the word of God that tells you who you are now and confront and renounce it. It's best to do this on paper, by the way, and this will take a period of time. This might take a lifetime. But this is how you go about cleansing yourself. And finally... Declare who you are. You can write these down. You can share these with trusted friends or counselors. You can work on these for a long time. Use scripture to define who you are, not your past. And that will set you free. That will allow you to lift your head up. When you remember that you are saved, that you belong to God that you are defined by him and not by your past and not by Satan's lies. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only item that is both offensive and defensive. This is how you fight Satan's lies. This is how you put them to death. John said of the devil that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And the only weapon that we have against him is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. What is the primary job of a sword? It keeps your enemy at a distance. So it's not uh, like a chest-to-chest knife fight. The sword keeps the devil away. And when you're confronted by the power of his lies or by the ugliness of your past, what do you do? Use the only resource that you have. Use scripture. The best example, by the way, is Jesus. If you look at the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was baptized before he began his ministry. And immediately he was baptized, he was tempted by the devil. Went out into the wilderness, uh, fasted for 40 days, and the devil came and tempted him. And if you look at the pattern of what happened, you see exactly what Paul is talking about. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, So remember, he's just been baptized. He's fasted for 40 days. He's hungry and thirsty. He's completely alone. And this is how he prepared to stand up and begin his ministry. If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. So that's the devil speaking to Jesus. He's starving. He's been, he hasn't eaten for four days. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What is he saying? If, maybe, you're really not the Son of God. After all, you're starving. Would a child of God really be starving? Isn't this evidence that God doesn't really love you? That you're not really who you think you are? 
prove it by making these stones food. Prove it to me, prove it to yourself. Get rid of the hunger and become what you're meant to be. And what does Jesus do? He answers, it is written, scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's from the Old Testament. So the devil moves on and he tries a little scripture. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Once again, if you are the Son of God, maybe you're not. Prove it by using Scripture. Cast yourself down and be saved by God's angels. But Jesus is better at Scripture than the devil, and this is how he replies. It is is also written, Scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. Finally, the devil throws up his hands. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Whenever Jesus was tempted, he used scripture. If you cut Jesus, he bled scripture. If you read what he said on the cross, he only quotes scripture. It was his life's blood. And that's how he was Jesus. Fully obedient to the Father, fully obedient to the Word of God. It is why Scripture is so powerful. It is our only defense against the lie. It is our only defense against temptation, against people who would define us by the worst of who we are or have been, or by our circumstances. Whenever you doubt, whenever you despair, whenever you fear, whenever you're lonely, remind yourself who you are. So as I said, some of you, I know this for a fact, are in despair, are worried about your life, are doubting, are facing loneliness and alienation, sickness, troubles. We're going to practice this right now. I'm going to read through the first chapter of Ephesians. Close your eyes and think about what right now is your greatest fear. In your career, in your relationship, in your relationship with God, in your life, in your family. What is challenging your faith? What is making you doubt God's goodness? As I read... I want you to apply scripture to that doubt. Think about the ways that this passage answers your doubts. Confess it to yourself, to the Holy Spirit. Renounce it using scripture. Remind yourself, declare to yourself who you really are.
So let's try it. Close your eyes. Lord, I pray that your spirit would meet us as we come to you now and as we apply scripture to our wounds. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in himself before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, salvation through his blood on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Lord, as we come to your table, we pray that these truths will become a power, spiritual power, and the center of our being, that they would remind us of who we are and who you are. They would drive out Satan's lies, drive out doubt, drive out darkness, drive out all that is in opposition to you. Lord, give us your peace. Give us the confidence in who we are as your children. Make this a church defined by you and by nothing else. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, hold on to that because I want you to bring that to the table. When we confess and approach the table, what we're doing is replacing that lie with Christ. So don't let it go. Right now, as we continue to worship, we're going to receive an offering. 
The offering is a chance for members of this church to support the ministries of our church.